0: Corinthians Chapter Two. We started a book study through the book of uh, First Corinthians, and um, talking about a a fractured church, a church that had a lot of problems, a lot of uh, uh, schisms was the word we looked at uh, uh, previous weeks and uh, there's just a lot of uh, uh, fractions in this church. You're different, uh, divided over personalities, divided over giftedness, divided um, economically. Uh, different, different areas. They would just the church was split on many fronts. And and uh, when we started the book, uh, we kind of saw that just this mess that we came into. And and uh, they were petty. They were they were clickish. Um, there they were groups that really just didn't even talk to each other. We had kind of uh, our group over here and our group over here, and, and they're just kind of divided and seemed as if uh, it was a kind of a power grab, uh, going after certain things, uh, climbing the ladder. The things they kind of learned from the society around them, they kind of put into this church. Uh, they struggled with all kinds of divisions. Uh, this church, it was just a, it was a mess. Um, uh, the church by the way, ought to be a place where none of those things really even matter, where none of those things exist. I, I often say it this way, the church should be kind of God's great equalizer. Um, uh, you've heard it said, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Uh, you know, it should remain level <laughs> in His church. Um, I love, you know, I, I've shared this story often, but I think it's just, it's just so awesome. There's a church planter out in Washington, D.C., and, uh, and he said, um, one, uh, one service they actually had in the same church service a homeless man sitting right next to the head of NASA in their church service. And I thought, where else in society? Where else in the world are you going to see that kind of unity and that kind of coming together of things that just would naturally have divisions? But, the, but this church was not in a healthy stage. Uh, this church, uh, Paul had started it. We talked about that. And a few years into it, some folks came back to Paul as he was over there in Ephesus and, and said, hey, there's some problems back here. So from Ephesus, he writes to address many of these issues back at the church of Corinth. This was at least the second letter Paul writes to them. Uh, he references a previous letter, but he's, he's answering some questions that they had, and he's corresponding about some of the issues and the, the fractions that were in the church. And, you know, this church, even though they were a mess, I want to I emphasize this, they were a church nonetheless. They were made up of saved people. Save people that had been called apart to assemble together uh, to the glory of God and for the purpose uh, that God has called them to. They knew the Lord. But the problem was they were acting more like the Corinth around them than the Christ that was in them. That was the big, uh, the big challenge. And by the way, it's the same challenge we have today. We get pulled in. Uh, we, the, the world becomes attractive. I mean, even Paul, those that served with Paul, you know, it's interesting how many times we... Uh, We'll look at certain uh, leaders and individuals in the world. And, and think, about, think about doing ministry with the Apostle Paul himself. All right, Can you imagine traveling with Paul? Maybe, uh, maybe starting your day off with a daily devotion with Paul. What that would have looked like, right? A time of prayer, and then they go out and they, they witness, and they go uh, you know, throughout the community, or whatever it is that they were doing. yet, even with Paul as the person you're traveling with, you know he had people abandon him? Demas, he said, hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. John Mark, in one of his missionary journeys, completely abandoned him so much, and that, that so disappointed the Apostle Paul that he didn't even want to give him a second chance later on when he wanted to come back into the ministry. And, uh, and of course, he uh, later at the end of his life says, John Mark is profitable. He's the one that wrote the Gospel of Mark, and, and uh, praise the Lord for second chances, or in my case, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. But, uh, but, but, but how easy it is to just be drawn away. And, and uh, you know, I just want to say if ministry leaders, if those that are on missionary journeys can get pulled in, any one of us can get pulled in to the things that would, pull, that would tug at us, that would cause us to want to identify more with the, the Corinth around us, so to speak, than the Christ that is within us. And that's what this church struggled with this. And uh, when, when these things happen, let me just say we're doing church wrong. When there are divisions, when there are cliques, when there are the things this church was dealing with we're doing church wrong. So in chapter 1, Paul was telling them, he said, uh, here's where you are, but here's where you should be. Uh, and, uh, and he says this uh, at the end of chapter 1. I love what he says because he kind of lays out some things of what they really are. Uh, he says, uh, he uses three words to identify who they are. He says, you guys are righteous. That that was their standing with the Lord. In fact, if you if you have your Bibles open, there First Corinthians uh, chapter one, there, in verse number thirty. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made us unto wisdom, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. A couple words there about their identity in Christ, because remember they were these were a people about identity. You know, they were, they were arguing, they were saying, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and oh yeah, well, I'm of Christ, I trump all of you guys. I mean, there was this battle that was going on with them about uh, name dropping and identity. Well, that, that's exactly what was going on in Society of Corinth. It's about who you know and, uh, and those kinds of things. So they were adopting that mentality in the church. So, so Paul's basically bringing it back around, you guys are interested in identity, let's talk about identity. Here's identity, you are righteous. That's in addressing their status. How, how, how they in Christ have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is a powerful statement. Not based on their own righteousness, but on the merit and righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. God has declared them to be righteous. I love the word. The word righteous means simply to be made right. To be in right standing. That's the status. That's the status that God had put them in. So they're talking about the status in the world. He says, no, no, none of that matters. Here's who you are in Christ. He he, he mentions that they are, uh, their sanctification. That identifies with their purpose. Because that's the next thing. We talk about, you know, uh, what is my purpose? What am I here for? That's going to give me value. And so he says, here's your purpose. You've been set apart unto God. He has a purpose for you. He has a direction for you to go. And so as they're looking for status in the world, and they're looking for purpose in the world, he says, he says all that's found in Christ. And then the, the third thing he points out there is their redemption. That's their value. It refers to something being bought back. It refers to a price tag, if you would. You know what the value of something is? Whatever people are willing to pay for it. I was, uh, I was in California. I remember the, the, when the, the recession hit in 2008, 2009, kind of that time frame. And, um, and uh, the, 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 first, the first place, really, that got hit hard was San Diego. San Diego, uh, we called it the, the housing bubble, right? And it just got so crazy, the price of houses. Well, a lot of people that bought houses in the, in the time when it was just, just huge. And then this recession hit, everything just bottomed out. And, uh, and people, people were upside down their house many times over, right? And they're trying to get out of it, and they're trying to get away from it. And, and many of them are just trying to sell and just see how, you know, just whatever I can get for it. And what's interesting is how many people that hold on to a value that they're hoping to get for their house— and they would not budge. They would not drop it because like, no, I owe too much. And, 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 and they couldn't grasp the idea that your house is only worth what people will pay you for it. That's a hard reality sometimes, right? Your house, now, now in this market, it's wonderful. If you're trying to sell right now, this is the seller's market. But uh, so, so, you know, my parents just sold a house and and uh, they actually got 15000 more than they're even asking. That's a good thing, right? But many times you're holding off, you know, I know, it's, I know what I've got. Don't try to lowball me, right? And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see those on the ads on Facebook or whatever. Uh, I know what I have, okay? And uh, no, what you have is whatever someone's going to pay you for it, and we need to be reasonable. Well, think about this. What is your life worth? How much does your life cost? Well, it costs the dear Lord his life. God saw such value in you that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in exchange for you. But God commended his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What was he saying to this church? He said this, because of your redemption, I want you to understand something. You are of great value to God. He loves you. Now, it's, it's so often we think, you know, well, you know, I'm to be humble, and I'm to think, you know, and, uh, and, and we're trying to balance all this out, but hold on a second. God saw great value in the fact that he even sought to redeem you. So he's saying to this church, while well, you're looking for status, and you're looking for, for recognition, and you're, you're name dropping, and you're looking at all these different things, understand all those things are found in the person of Jesus Christ. So he comes back to this place with them. And that's, that's kind of uh, his introduction. Before he really deals with real issues, he's kind of bringing them back to square one. Back to where they began. You see, what they weren't seeing, as they were fractured in so many different ways, is uh, it was almost like Paul was, uh, was kind of looking at this church and saying, man, where do I begin? How do, how do I even start? So he said, well, let's go back to the beginning. Okay. Um, Remember remember, in the olden days, in the olden days, uh, not that long ago when uh, your computers would start acting up and you'd get that uh, blue screen of death? <laughs> okay. Or, uh, you know, you'd have the different problems and you had those magic keys. I wish we had this in real life. Control-Alt-Delete. Remember that? But, you know, I don't think we really deal with that anymore, but uh, Control-Alt-Delete. That was like, man, let's just kind of reset this thing, okay? And... Um, uh, you know what if what if we had that in life? We can kind of just go back to factory settings you know sometimes your phone 's acting up, right? You call customer service, and what do they tell you let 's restart your phone. <laughs> I had to call you to get that advice <laughs> right <laughs> when um, when uh, I was in uh, in college taking uh, uh, some math classes, we were getting into some crazy math and uh, and we would we would do like these we'd do groups we 'd meet together in these groups uh, group studies and and we we're trying to figure out what this section was in math that we were in. And quite frankly, none of us had a clue. And, and I just want to say it doesn't matter how many people you have working together with you, if nobody has an idea what you're doing, you're not going to get anywhere. Well, the professor would have us work out everything on the whiteboard. And so you start strong and you're kind of doing all the numbers and you're doing all the letters and all this algebra and this craziness. But at some point you just kind of get so off. And you, you, you get, come to the wrong conclusion, kind of working it back. And you think, where did I leave off? Where did I miss it? Where did I get off track? And it becomes such a disaster and such a mess that sometimes the best thing you can do is just kind of uh, uh, take that eraser and just kind of wipe the board clean. Let's start back at square one. Let's go back to where we started. Let's go back with the basic issue. And so as this church, he's addressing this church. Paul's heard from this church about many different issues. And, and, uh, and you look at this church and you say, all right, church, give, a, give me an assessment. How are you doing? They start writing it all on the board. and They're saying, man, we are a very talented church. Paul said in chapter 1, they came behind, uh, the, 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 there was no church that was more gifted and more talented than this church. They were, they were the church, right? They were uh, prestigious. They had some of the best preachers that would come in. Apollos was one of the preachers. Paul started this thing. Uh, no doubt Peter at some point, uh, uh, I believe, mentioned that he had come through. And, and uh, I mean, this was the place. And they're writing all this stuff, and they're they're really missing some key factors in there. So Paul's coming back, and he says, let's just hit reset for a minute. Let's kind of wipe the board clean, and let's kind of get things down to the bare bones. What is this church about? How did we start? Where did we come from? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. and verse number 1, it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I want to talk to you this morning just briefly about the need from time to time to just kind of hit reset, to kind of just come back to the basics. I think Paul was drawing this church's attention to that, and uh, I know I've kind of already started preaching, but I want to have a word of prayers real quick as we uh, get into this. Lord, we do thank you for our time together today, and I pray, Father, that you'd help me today as uh, as a little tired and uh, foggy-headed. I pray, Lord, you give me clarity, that I'd say what you'd have me to say, and that we'd uh, uh, be very careful as we handle the Word of God today that you make known to us the things that you'd have us to see from this text, from your Word today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see how the Apostle Paul was pushing the reset button here in this church. Look at verse number one again. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. And he starts off, and he's talking to his church, and he says, hey, you know, let's, let's get back to how I came to you. You see, uh, uh, you would think that when Paul shows up, knowing what kind of a town this is, knowing what kind of a city this is, this was a city that was, that was really big on philosophy. We looked last week at uh, philosophy, the, the love of knowledge, the love of, uh, you know, just, just uh, knowing information. They love philosophy. And, you know, even to this day, many of the Greek philosophers from this region and from this time frame, we might even quote today. And uh, going back to there, they were so big on that in the Greek culture and and this was a place for debating, and they would have these debates in public square, and, and people would kind of go back and forth on different points. Uh, uh, political theory, a lot of political theory rose out of this time frame, and uh, from the Greek philosophers and so forth. This was a big deal uh, back then. You'd think Paul would come and say, i got to be ready, I've got to be polished. And what does he say? He says, when I came, it was not about excellent speech. Uh, I was not going to wow you with my best sermons. You know, sometimes when someone's a, 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 an evangelist, it's always funny when evangelists go, they go church to church. And, and basically, typically, what they have is they have a few very, very polished sermons and they go to a church, and they preach these very, very polished sermons, and uh, everyone's like, wow, look at that powerful preacher, and, and I'm not against evangelists or anything, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's different when you've got to bring a meal several times a week, <laughs> you know, uh, rather than having one very polished sermon, and, and, uh, or maybe someone's candidating for a church, and uh, they show up at that church, and they've got, they put their best foot forward, and, and uh, this is going to be a very flowery message, one that makes everybody feel good, and wow, he's a great preacher, he's, he'd make a good pastor for us and and uh you know what do you do you're putting your best foot forward and you're trying to wow the people when paul came he was saying it wasn't about that for me he said i came to you not with uh with excellent speech he wasn't the most eloquent and this was a big deal uh in their culture look at verse one again he says when i came to you i came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of, of God. How did he come? Uh, uh, well, he says, he says this, I'm coming back. i want to hit the reset button a little bit. Let's come back to the beginning of how I came to you, how, where your starting point was. Keep in mind, this church was now a few years down the road, and a lot of these things had crept in, a lot of these problems this church was dealing with, and he says, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to those humble beginnings, how you started as a church. So, so Paul shares with him when he first came about his uh, proclamation, the way that he brought about the word of God, the declaration of the testimony of God. Here's the reason he came in verse 1 there. He says, declaring the testimony of God. Now to declare something is, uh, is the idea of to announce, make an announcement, an announcement with authority. It's not down getting caught up in the weeds. It's not even something that uh, uh, it's something that should be and can be known. And he, and he makes it clear and he makes it very pointed. He says to this church, he says, look, when I came to you guys, it wasn't about, you know, I wasn't uh, uh, coming to you like one of those professors, you know, putting up all the stuff over the board and just getting all crazy with, uh, with all the information. He said, no, I came with simple speech. These are just simple statements of Declaration. I shared you the God, with you the gospel. I shared with you the testimony of God, and I made it as simple as possible. It was not excellent speech. You ever, uh, you ever watched a debate, uh, especially when it comes to maybe science, saying like science, uh, evolution versus creation? You guys ever seen an evolution-creation debate? Um, it's always funny to me, many times, the, uh, the, the prof- if it's a professor uh, that's, that's trying to defend evolution, what they try to do is they try using all these huge words to make it sound like they, they really know what they're talking about. So we got to pull out a dictionary. What did he really just say? <laughs> you know, and uh, if I can just kind of outsmart you with, with how confident I am and, and bog you down with these big words, then maybe you'll be convinced that my point is worth taking. Right? And, uh, and, but, but, but let me just say, if you're talking above everybody's head, have you convinced anybody? Well, he really knew what he was talking about. And really, this is how the Church of Corinth was uh, with, uh, with the way they would do things, and the people would come in with their rhetoric and their debates and those kinds of things. But, uh, but he says, when I came, it was simple statements. I just simply declared to you. A declaration uh, means that it's, a, it, it's just very foundational message. And, and he says it was not found in this human reasoning. It wasn't with wisdom. It wasn't with all this stuff. It was not found in philosophy. It was just a simple declaration of truth. You know, if I were to make some declarations, just some simple statements. For example, if I were to just say, uh, uh, hey, after the service, we're going to have ice cream in the fellowship hall. Okay, that's not what we're doing, but but how many of you would have trouble with that declaration? Okay, I know what he said. Okay, all of a sudden, some of you just woke up. What ice cream? Wow, oh. <laughs> and uh, uh, these are just simple statements that Paul was making. It was a declaration. But notice what he said. Uh, what did he declare to them? It says there, the testimony of God. This was a message that was going to be from God. Whatever it was that he preached when he first came to this church, it was from God. And by the way, I want to say this. Whenever we hear preaching, uh, that's how it should be. It should be from God. It should be from God. By the way, that's why we make much about the Bible here. It must flow from the word of God. That's our authoritative source. That is our sole authority. It's God's message from him to us. We believe that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and he's revealed it through his word. You see, we're not, we're not looking for some, some kind of uh, mystical thing in the sky. We're not looking for, God has given to us his truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, Jesus prayed. Thy word, God's word is truth. We come back to that. That's what Paul's big deal was. He was making a big deal about God's truth. This was a message from God. It was a simple gospel message. Later in the chapter, he calls this preaching, what his message was. He calls it the wisdom of God. Last last chapter we looked at, he called it the message of the cross. It was the gospel message. It was the message that they needed to hear about Jesus Christ. Paul's proclamation was from God. It was God's message. And, and Paul was simply the deliverer. He was the delivery boy. By the way, that's why when we are carefully handling the Word of God, just line upon line, precept upon precept, here's what the Bible says. Uh, that's a very safe place. Because it's not, it's not my wisdom. It's not my latest philosophy. This is what God says. And I'm just a messenger, right? It should be from God as we, as we declare it, we deliver it. And so, so Paul's telling this church, he says, let's go way back. Let's let's just erase the whiteboard. Let's uh, hit the reset button. Let's go back to the beginning. Point number one, I came and made a proclamation, this was a declaration. This is just some simple statements that I made, not with wisdom and not with eloquency. It was just simple statements of the testimony of God. And so the, 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 the type of proclamation this was, was, uh, of course, it was from God and it was a, a, a declaration. But notice there, it was the testimony of God, the testimony of God. Now there's some debate on some discussion about what this means when it talks about the testimony of God but here's what I believe it's referring to I believe it's referring to this message of God through Paul's testimony what it had done for him what this message this message of salvation the difference the impact that it made in his life in other words he's saying here's the message of salvation and here's what it has done for me as a satisfied customer as he's passing along and saying what God has done in his life It's the message of the cross. It was the message of the power of the cross, the message of the wisdom of God. And Paul says it in a testimony form. And by the way, that's consistent with what we see Paul doing over and over again. In the book of Acts, how many times does he give his testimony? Uh, He stands before King Agrippa. What does he do? He goes again to give his testimony. He says, well, when I was heading out to go persecute the church yet again, a light shone, and and, uh, there it was, uh, and uh, I was blinded by it. And he said, "Uh, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I said, who art thou, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he gives his whole story several times. I believe, though it's not all recorded, but I believe everywhere he went, he just kind of told it again, and told it again, and told it again. It It was the MO of Paul. He would say, hey, have I told you my story yet? Have I told you? By the way, what a powerful tool it is to share our testimony, to share what God has done for us. You know, still to this day with all the money, all the billions of dollars that goes into uh, to marketing and to sales and all that kind of stuff, still the best advertisement is still uh, word of mouth. Um, sharing what your experience is, sharing what is done for you. And, and um, you know, Paul had this testimony from God. See, it wasn't just something that was true on paper, is what he was saying. It's something I've experienced. It's made a difference in my life. You think about Paul. He said, when I received this, man, I was pushing against it. I was fighting against it. I was not happy with it. But there was something deep down. It was pricking at me. That's what, that's what Jesus said to Paul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. What pricks? The pricks of the testimony of God as he stood there consenting to Stephen's stoning, as he held the coats for those that would throw the rocks, the stones, at Stephen. And, and it had to have been convicting him. And, and, um, and he says, he says, I was fighting against until one day on that road to Damascus, that fateful day when, when the light shone and, and, uh, and it all became real and true for me as I saw and recognized who Jesus is. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And that's the day he began his personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it was an experiential truth. That's what Paul's desire was in Philippians, that I may know him. There's an experiential knowledge, that I may know him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. See, when Paul showed up to this church, it was a simple proclamation. It was, but it was carried out with the weight of experience. See, there's a weight behind the gospel message. When it's carried by people who've experienced it. Did you know a lost person can share the gospel? A lost person can understand and share the message of the gospel, but the weight of the message is from somebody who has experienced it. Let me tell you what it's done for me. Hey, the gospel in and of itself is powerful, but until it has been experienced by an individual, it's really words on paper. I have to receive the gospel. That's what, he, that's what Paul says uh, later on in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, uh, I'm going to declare to you that which I've received, the gospel that I've received. And it says, uh, by which you are saved and wherein you stand. To stand in the gospel, to receive the gospel. This is something that must be, must be experienced in a very real way. And so when you then share the gospel, I'm not just sharing information that was given to me, but rather experience now, I'm not saying, you know, experience is everything. You know, we put a lot into experience. But let me just say, if you have experienced salvation, and if you know it to be true from the pages of Scripture, let me just say you are well equipped to share the gospel. That's all it's needed. Has it done anything for you? What, what has it done in your life? What gives the gospel weight is the experiential testimony of the people who've been captured by it. So Paul, simply, I believe, shared his message, shared his testimony. This is the testimony of God, and here's what it has done in my life. We see Paul's declaration, his proclamation to them. Here's how I came. And then he talks about, here's how he did not come. Look at verse number one again. I, brethren, when I came into you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I can't, it wasn't with excellent speech. It was not with uh, trying to, to show off this wisdom um, in other words, I didn't come the way people would expect me to come to this place. Knowing what made them tick and knowing what this place was about. Corinth was known for their rhetoric. They were known for their, their public speeches. And there'd be these well-known speakers that would come through and they'd give their, 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 their oration and they would talk uh, to the people. And, and, um, and this is what they just did. They would travel and they would give their speeches. And, and this was the place. This was where you would go. And you know you've arrived if you can get an audience there in Corinth. That's what it was about. It was a place of debate. The best speakers of the day would come, and, and the people would say, wow, that was convincing. Uh, one, of the, one of the Greek uh, philosophers, uh, uh, Plutarch, said that Corinth was, uh, was a place that was, uh, uh, the, 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 the trick or the goal was to convince people, not of truth, but uh, it was really impressive when you would be, when, and you'd be really popular if you could convince people of something that wasn't true. In other words, they'd win a debate even though there was no facts based in it. There, You'd win a debate or a discussion or you'd convince people even though there was nothing to back it, right? Um... Because it was all about, wow, was it convincing? Wow, there was just an eloquency of it. And that was kind of something that, that they would look for. And, and, and so maybe you could win the debate or the discussion through maybe philosophy or through different means. But, but even reach, uh, bring people to the wrong conclusion. And that was looked at as really quite spectacular to be able to convince somebody of that. Some of you might know people like that. It doesn't matter which side of the argument the person's on. They'll win. Right? The, the, they're just convincing well, that's the kind of stuff the Church of Corinth valued, because that's what the city of Corinth valued. Just find people that said it well and, and could, could speak eloquently, and that's what they were following. They were still following this pattern back in chapter 1, and they said, well, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. What were they saying? They were name-dropping. Well, these were eloquent speakers. These were the ones that, that had a reputation, and, and within Christian circles, these were the names to drop. Well, this is, who, this is who I'm identifying with, and this is, this is what I'm all about. They began comparing themselves among themselves. Paul says to this church, he says, hey, let's, let's, let's get back and hit the reset button. Let's reset the thing and get back to the beginning. And he said, when I showed up, I didn't come that way. When I showed up, I was not some famous preacher. I was not expecting to roll the red carpet. I wasn't staying at the five-star hotel. Uh, I came in a very simple way. Simple Basic, this is who I was. By the way, that's the truth we need. Simple, truth. It's really not about who's talking. It's not about what, you know, all these names. We, we, we like to get enamored by that these days, right? My fa- I got my favorite TV preacher. I've got the, you know, we, we, we set up these environments and we kind of, everyone's kind of, you know, looking at different ways of kind of measuring it rather than let's come back to the truth. What is, what is truth and what's, what's being spoken See, modern preaching today, I think, is devolved from biblical preaching... For this very reason is devolved from biblical preaching did more talk about uh, uh you know how can i gather a crowd how can i keep a crowd or let's speak to felt needs and and it kind of turns into a maybe glorified uh, self-help session uh, uh a big dr phil show okay and uh and and that's kind of what what it's kind of devolved to you know the the five reason or five ways to improve this and ten ways to do that and, and we kind of we bring it down to that we've so just kind of departed from what the bible says so he's challenging them. Let's kind of come back to this. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. This is what they struggled with. It's what our own culture struggles with. That's not Bible Christianity. That's not Bible preaching. It's not Bible. Getting back to the simple message of the Scriptures. Getting back to the Word of God. So Paul says, When I showed up, I gave a simple proclamation. Look at verse number two. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's really interesting so he says, when I came to you, in verse number one, we see his, his declaration or his proclamation. This is something I, just, I was going to speak very plainly to you. In verse number two, we see his predetermination. Again, see it there. I was determined not to know anything among you. There was a determination about him, but it was predecided. I believe it took place between Athens and Corinth. Remember when we saw the map a couple weeks ago, as he came down, he was up there at Thessalonica, then he came down to Berea, and he was coming along the coast. He comes down to Athens. Do you remember what took place in Athens? What was that? Mars Hill. Mars Hill. Famous place, Mars Hill. By the way, whoever decided to name a church Mars Hill, I think is confused with the story of Mars Hill. But anyways, in fact, why don't we turn back there real quick. Acts 17. This is interesting what takes place in Mars Hill, because I think Paul actually learned something here. I think, I personally think he kind of made some mistakes here, and learned from it. Look at, look at verse 22, Acts 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God, "...whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. For God hath made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in tabern- uh, excuse me, temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made, known of, uh, me, hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all, all the face of the earth, and hath determined... Uh, the ti- uh, the times before appointed, and the bo- uh, the bounds of their habitations, and uh, and they should seek the Lord if happily they might uh, uh, feel after and find him, though uh, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our beings, as certain also of you uh, of your own poets have said. For we also we are also his offspring. Forasmuch when we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art of men's devices. In the times of his ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in in the which he, uh, he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath appointed, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed. Among, which, uh, among the which was uh, Di- Dionysus and uh, you know, these folks and some women. Uh, let me just pause right there. But anyways, my point is, when he was in Athens, he sees this uh, setting and he sees this opportunity. Here's a tomb that's not been claimed, uh, the unknown God. And he, and he basically start, he claims that for the Lord. He says, this is God. And what does he do? He starts going into creation and he starts going into all these things. All true things, by the way. But, but, but I want to say this. If we, miss the, if we miss the gospel, none of the other stuff really matters. And so he, when, you, when you analyze that whole little mess, that message that he says, it's very, very eloquent he dives into a lot of things. He references their poets, and he references different things, tries to connect with them. And, and, and what does he say? He, in passing, talks about resurrection, but doesn't even mention the name Jesus, doesn't mention the crucifixion. And you know what? There was little response. It mentions there a couple people believed. Others said, We'll hear you again of this matter. And, and, uh, and then he goes on from there. His very next stop was Corinth. By the way, how many of you have you read the epistle to the church at Athens? We don't know of a church of Athens. Maybe one was eventually started. But he goes to the next place, and what happens? A church springs up. Something changed. Something takes place with how Paul handled Athens and how Paul handles Corinth. By the way, both places had very similar philosophies. Both places had very similar people. They were not far. They were walking distance from each other. He comes to Corinth, and what does he do? He says, when I came to you, I wasn't talking wisdom. I wasn't talking philosophy. I wasn't talking all that stuff. In fact, I came knowing nothing. Now, by the way, did Paul know some things? He was a very well-learned Pharisee, right? Right? He knew the law forward and backwards. Uh, studied the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he had he had uh, he had it all. But what does he do? He comes to this church, uh, this this people rather. Before there was a church, says when I came to you, I came knowing nothing. I simply declared the simple message of the cross. He knew the culture of Corinth. He knew he knew what they valued their rhetoric. He knew some things. There were two groups of people primarily, the Jews. The Jews were looking for a conquering Messiah. So when he preaches the simple message of the cross, we looked at last week, that's weak. That's pitiful. This, this, this man hung on a cross in a, in a conquered position. They think, that's not what we're looking for. The Greeks look at this and they say, this is foolishness. This is stupid. What are you you trying to tell us here? And it's not something they they wanted a deeper knowledge. They wanted some kind of thought. And they said, no, no, it's this simple. Christ died for our sins. was buried he rose again for our justification. There's the message. Just simple, just to the point. So when he came, speaking of this dying Messiah, sentenced to death, that wasn't attractive to the Jews. And it sure didn't look very tough to the Greeks who were looking for, they they were looking for enlightenment and looking for perfection and and all these kinds of things. He came in a very simple way. I determined to not know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we we see how he, you know, and he comes with this message. And really, quite frankly, this message for the Jews was offensive. The Bible talks about the message of the cross being a stumbling block to the Jews. It was offensive. And, and uh, the message of the gospel itself, by the way, if it offends, here, here, here's, here's how we ought to look at it. Let it be. We, we, you know, so be it. We should not set out to offend. But there are some elements of the gospel that are just going to, quite frankly, offend. It's offensive, especially in this day and age about self-esteem and, and feeling good and all this kinds of stuff uh, to come up to somebody and say, you've sinned against a just and a holy God. And because, because of this, somebody had to die on your behalf and the fact that we say this simple statement, Christ died for your sins, assumes you've done what? Sinned. That's offensive. Don't tell me that. Don't be judging me. I'm not judging you. I'm declaring to you the simple truths of God. This is what the Bible says. He's telling them, when I came, he knew the message would offend the Jews. He knew it would seem ridiculous to the Greeks. Yet he came and preached it anyway. And when they would look at him, he came in simplicity, he came in this way. They would look at him and say, Who is this guy? He cannot preach his way out of a paper bag. Look at this old decrepit man. He's got, he's got one foot on a banana peel and the other one in the grave. <laughs> well, who is this guy? He, he, he says, I didn't come as this eloquent preacher. I didn't come to try to wow you guys. I came with this very simple message. By the way, if they're always looking for the best preacher, the, the one that will wow you, the one that would convince you the most, what kind of a faith is that? In order to stay on track, you must keep being wowed. In order to stay, to stay in that group, you must keep being, wow, he's the best, until someone better comes along. And now we have what Ephesians talks about, being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Why? Because this guy said it better. This is why I'm always cautious, by the way, of becoming a, a YouTube theologian. Be careful of YouTube theologians. You say, what's a YouTube theologian? A person that builds their theology off a bunch of little three to five minute snippets they saw on YouTube. Wow, do you hear how, see how good this guy did it? And boy, they're really good with the camera, and they can bring in all these things, and just, it just seems so convincing. I saw this uh, video a guy put together. It was very convincing. And you know what he was out to do? He was out to disprove the Holocaust ever happened. And because he was really good at what he did, it looked quite convincing. Unfortunately, I've studied some history to know that it happened, okay. And so, but but if it's just about eloquence about these things, then 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 wow! I just I feel so much better because look how confident this guy is. Look how you know powerful this guy is. And we miss it We see his proclamation, his, his declaration. It was a it was very simple. It was very pointed. We see the he was predetermined to go to them, not knowing anything. Look at verse number three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now he turns to the conversation less about what he was saying and now more about himself. You see, the attitude of Corinth was, look at me, I'm somebody. The attitude of Corinth was about ladder climbing and prestige and, and name dropping. And so Paul comes to them. he says, let me just be a little transparent with you. Let me tell you what I was going through when I came to you as we hit the reset button, as we, as we wipe clean, erase this huge mess that we've created. Let's go back to the beginning. He said, when I came to you, I just simply proclaim Christ. I wasn't trying to wow you. I just proclaim Christ. And here's how he did it. He did it in weakness. Now people kind of trip all over that. That's Paul describing his humility when he came. Uh, you know, no, no, weakness means weakness. There are a lot of things about Paul that we'd look at and say, oh, he was a weak, weak man. Weakness. Think about this now. He was weak in so many ways when he came here. He came all by himself. Now this was likely the largest task that Paul had done. Uh, would do. He's coming to one of the largest cities. He's coming to a very carnal place, a place given over to lascivious lifestyle. Uh, we talked about um, the, um, uh, the, the, the temple there to the goddess, and, and they had these, these uh, temple prostitutes. I mean, this was a very filthy, disgusting place. It was a port city, and there was a lot of commerce and people coming to and fro, and there was a lot of money flowing in and out of it. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff. This was sin city, and what does he do? He goes there by himself. Hey, just a few weeks earlier, when he, was, uh, when he was at Thessalonica, he wasn't by himself. He, he, he kind of went down to Berea by himself, but some, then, then he, the others caught up with him. And when he was even in Athens, he had Timothy and Silas there with him. But then he sent them back to Thessalonica while he went on to Corinth. When he comes to Corinth, he's all by himself. That's a weak position. He's weak physically. He's already told people uh, uh, how weak he is. Uh, uh, not long before this, he was beaten to a bloody pulp. He, uh, uh, at this point in his life, he's probably in his uh, mid 50s. He, he talked about many of the things he suffered. He was stoned to a point where the people who were stoning him assumed him to be dead. It's likely he did die. Would you think he probably had a few scars on his body? Would you think he had some bones maybe uh, that didn't quite set properly? Maybe, maybe some joints out of socket. Do you think his, his joints didn't hurt when it got cold? He came in, in weakness. He had some trouble. In fact, uh, he, talked to, he told the church of Galatia, he said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He told the, 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 the church of Galatia, he said, I know your love for me that, that if it were possible, you would pluck out your own eyes and give them to me. Many believe, I, I think there's enough evidence to support that he had some severe eye trouble probably from his his experience on the road to Damascus, got blinded. See, he he came in weakness. He didn't come with an entourage. He didn't come with all these people with him. He had the thorn in the flesh that he reveals in 2 Corinthians that was uh, apparently debilitating to the point that he's begging God to take this away. God, I can't serve you properly unless you take this thorn away from me. He had some serious weaknesses. Not only that, but as an older man and and probably uh, uh, starting to wear in his energy level and all this stuff, he was bivocational. He didn't have the privilege of going and just be full time in the, in the ministry. He didn't have the support of all these churches to the point where he could put a roof over his head and feed himself. No, no, he would work all day and preach all night. This was the life of Paul. He came in weakness. He said, When I showed up, I was not some some big fancy orator with all the pomp and circumstance that would go with it. No, I came in weakness. Notice also in verse number three, I came in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know what Paul was doing? There were some things they knew about him just in his physical appearance. But now he's pulling back the curtain and saying, let me tell you what was going on in here when I came to you. He said, when I came, I was terrified. What, the apostle Paul? The bold Apostle Paul that was willing to be, to be uh, stoned? The, the Apostle Paul that would stand in the face of adversity? I mean, we look at him, we say, wow, this is the guy that says, I want to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. He says, I came trembling. I came terrified. He was scared. He said, I knew my message would cause conflict. You know, there were two great riots that, ro- that arose when Paul was in Corinth as a result of his preaching. There were riots archaeologists had found in Ephesus, directly connected to Paul. We know a little bit about riots the last couple of years across America. Uh, these kinds of things. And nobody wants to be part of that. Nobody wants to be to blamed for that. No doubt he might be thinking, is this the time a riots going to co- rise up in my name? Or maybe this will be another time that I'm stoned. Or maybe this will finally be it. I'm going to be killed this time for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I was scared. You say, are you sure that's what he's saying? We looked at Acts 17 when he was in Athens. Acts 18 is when he gets to Corinth. It says in Acts 18, verse number 9, Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night, in the night by a vision. Here's what God said to him. Be not afraid. You mark it down. Whenever God shows up and says, be not afraid, it's probably because the person he's speaking to was afraid. Remember Joshua? How many times God had to tell Joshua, hey, be courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Why? Because he was not courageous and he was struggling. He's like, I'm not Moses. God says, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. He encourages him. God says to Paul, be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee. Here's the promise God gives Paul. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. You know what he also said? He says, don't be afraid. Secondly, he says, no one's going to hurt you while you're here. And we see that later on. We see how, how, how they even set up a council against him, and he stood before court, and the judge basically said, get out of here. And he had freedom to preach in Corinth. He says, no one will hurt thee. And here's what it says. For I have much people in this city, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Paul, with boldness, after God encouraged his heart, came and he preached there and discipled them for 18 months. Boy, you know, that helps me. The Apostle Paul was afraid to share the gospel. You ever been afraid to share the gospel? Maybe with a coworker. Maybe with, here's a hard one, a family member. You say, why, why is that so hard? Because you've got to see them again. You see, if they reject, if they get offended like the Jews could have been offended, it's going to make Thanksgiving a little difficult. It's going to make Christmas a little awkward when you have those get-togethers. That encourages me. Paul, Paul was afraid, and God said, don't, don't fear. Just go and preach boldly. Don't hold your peace. He was afraid. You know, we all fear. And here, here Paul's being a little bit transparent with this church. Here's the beginnings. Here's how we started. And, uh, and God came to him, and here's basically the message God said. Don't be afraid. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. And you know, I want to say this. The message of the cross is not limited to those who've been, who are in full-time ministry. We are all stewards of this message. Uh, God has the same message. In fact, in fact, when when Jesus gave that great commission, there He said, uh, "All power is given me in heaven and in earth." And He tells His the disciples there, "Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, uh, teaching them to observe all things." And here's what He says. He ends it with this: "And lo, I am with you always." What is that for? Because it's terrifying. It's such a, a huge task, uh, you know, to go into this world that hates the message of the cross and tell them that message anyway. God says, "Yes." Yeah, all power is given to me, and now as you go, I am with you always. That's powerful. That's the same promise. That's the same thing that Paul was holding on to as God says to him, Hey, don't be afraid. Preach. Preach the word. Just keep preaching. When I came, he says to them, I came with one message. Simple. I was determined that I would talk about Christ And even though it's offensive and even though it's foolish, I was going to preach Christ. and I didn't come in an eloquent way. I came scared to death. Notice verse number four. But he came in power. And my speech and preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You see here he reiterates that of what he said earlier about wisdom. With enticing words with man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. The word demonstration was a really big word in those days. It was a legal word. It was a legal term. And, he, and it carried the idea that was used in court of, of, of an inco, incon, nah, uh, a, a truth that you could not argue against. It was something that you could demonstrate. It was demonstrative as they would be presented in court. This, this individual is demonstrably uh, guilty. We have proven it beyond the shadow of a doubt. That's what it was. And so he says, when I brought this, this is a very powerful word. He says, he says it was a demonstration of the power that it held. Why? Because he was weak. Why? He was feeble. He, he didn't come with anything eloquent. It was, uh, it was, it was this, this uh, uh, a very, something that would be looked frowned upon, looked down upon in this culture of Corinth, and yet there was something powerful that came out of it. See, he said, I came in simplicity, even in weakness and fear and trembling. But he said, I kept on going because I knew what the gospel could do. I knew the power that it held. I have seen it demonstrated, this power. And uh, and so so as Paul came, he says, "I know what this would do." And I, and, and let's, as we're hitting reset, as we're wiping the board clean and we're kind of going back to the beginning, remember, remember the power that it had in your life. Remember what it had done, the demonstration of this gospel when it when it met your life, it transformed you. It changed your life. You're not who you were. You are a new creature in Christ. You've been pulled out from that Old Corinth dead to that old man for a new purpose in Christ and he says this is what the gospel has done to you and now what's happening we are drifting let's get on back let's come back to square one let's come back to these basics Paul says let's hit the reset button how do we get so off track how do we get so clickish with these 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 little uh, uh, schisms these things that are going on let's get back to these the, the early days of the gospel what a message for us all, by the way. From time to time, just hit reset. Come back. Who are you, really? Where did you come from, really? We see his proclamation. We see his, his predetermination as he decided he wasn't going to know anything but Christ. We see his weakness displayed. We see the power. And then notice, look at verse number five. That. The word that there, as it shows up, it's kind of a purpose statement. Here's why. Here's where it's going. We see Paul's purpose. That's your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That, that's your faith. What is it you're relying on? What is it you're depending on? That's, that's what he's saying. What are you rooting this into? Here, here's why, I, here, uh, here's why I, I stayed on Christ. Here's why I kept that central. Here's why I emphasized Christ. Because, because men are going to come and go. Pastors are going to come and go. People, preachers are going to come and go philosophers are going to come and go. Ideas are going to come and go. Listen, it's not, it's not the latest philosophy of Aaron Richards that you're coming to hear. I hope not. You'll be a little bit disappointed. It's not the latest philosophy of anything. It's not, it's not what are the cultural winds. When Paul came to town, he did put his finger up in the air and say, where are the winds blowing? He says, no, I'm going to come determined to know nothing. And here's what I'm going to root it all in, Christ. I'm bringing it back to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm emphasizing Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God does not come and go. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He doesn't come and go. He is concrete. He is the standard. He is sufficient. So you want something to put confidence in, you put your confidence in Christ, is what he's telling this church. And folks, it's the same with us. You know why we get off track? We lose sight of Christ. We lose sight of what he had done for us. We get clickish. We get... We get bogged down with, with debates and the things of this world, and we get pulled this way, and we get pulled this way, and, and we get so off track, we set back and we think, how did I get here? We've got to come back to, 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 to that humble place of the cross. It's humble, but it's powerful. He tells his church, God took you guys as nobodies. and made you somebodies. Why were they in Corinth? We've already talked about what, why people would be in Corinth. It was a highly transient place. It was a place of uh, immigration, if you would. It was a place where slaves could make something of themselves. Former slaves could pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It was a place of dreaming. You'd go there and try to fulfill your dream. And he says, look at how Christ answered all those things, all those needs that you had. You didn't realize they were spiritual. And so here's Christ fulfilling those things in their life. And he says, I, ch- I stayed and I, and I promoted Christ because that's the unchangeable. You know, and as he points out, as we saw in chapter 1, he thanked God for their gifts. He thanked God for all those things, and, and he's still thankful for that. But he says, I want, you to, I want you to come back to this place. Remember where you were when you got saved? You came hopeless. You came pleading the mercy of God. You came, you came humbly, as you said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Remember, you came to that point when you became nothing. He became something in you and made something of you. And now you've run off and you've used your Christian liberty to run around in the flesh. He says, let's get back. Let's get back to this place. Remember when you got saved. Remember when I got saved. I was in such desperation. How did I get so big? Let's come back to this. He says, that your faith... Should not stand in the wisdom of men. All the things that Corinth emphasized. But what? But in the power of God. Here's the purpose for all this. Here's why we want to hit the reset button. Here's why we come back to all this. Let's erase the whiteboard. Let's hit that reset button. Let's come back. Let's get away from those comparisons. Let's get away from identifying with this guy and that guy. And climbing ladders and all this kind of stuff. And let's get back to the simplicity of it. Hey folks, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Let's get back to there. You know what we like to do? We like to promote ourselves. Uh, I always, I always got to chuckle out. It Depending on certain circles that you you, you go in, or uh, pastor's meetings and stuff. Depending on different events that I've been to uh, in my ministry, it's funny how sometimes you'll show up and, uh, here's Dr. So-and-so going to preach today. I'm like, ooh, that's funny. I remember him as Bob. <laughs> because I was at another meeting where that's kind of how it was. It was just kind of real, and... That was Bob there, and all of a sudden, he's Dr. So-and-so. Oh, my. Of course, it was honorary, and that's kind of how it usually goes. But, um, <laughs> but we kind of, we, you know, we do the same thing in Christianity that they were dealing with. Let's get, get, come back to this, folks. Not have I gotten, but what I received. Grace had bestowed it. Grace had bestowed it since I had believed. Folks, folks, I'm just a sinner saved by Grace not something I've accomplished, look at God, and I, I deserve this. You should save me because, because of Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice. That's where my value came from. Hey folks, if you're saved today, he's declared you to be righteous. He sanctified you, set you apart for a purpose, and you are in him. Uh, you, you are of great value by the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ as he finished up the last one. Let's get back to that place, those roots. Let's hit reset. And, 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 and folks, when we think about this, we come back to this, you know, we think about how great is our God that he would see such hope in me, that he'd see such potential in me, that he would see me worth redeeming for himself. That's the power of the gospel. I like what he says in Galatians. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, Jew or or Gentile, bond or free. What is he saying? This guy who is a slave, and this guy who's maybe a business owner, you know, we're just the same in Christ. God's using these certain things, of course, in our lives, and among each other, but we come back to this point. We're the same in Christ. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. As the songwriter said, Appreciate you all being out, you know, from time to time. We consider, as Paul's doing, I believe, with this church, before we deal with problems, before we get into some of these root issues, he says this, let's get back to the basics. Let's hit reset. Let's clean, uh, clean the slate and say, uh, who are you anyway? What is it all about? Is it all these things we put emphasis into, or is it the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ? I want to bow our heads for a moment.